Now, that's, that's one of the things about Christmas is there is it is such a sensory experience. You know, I mean, we've got the sights, we've got the tastes and the smells, the sounds. We've got, you know, we think of our Christmas trees and we think of all the light displays, the boughs of holly decking the halls. We think of the tastes and the smells of Christmas, you know, like a candy cane or pumpkin pie or sweet potato casserole or my family was baking cookies yesterday, so our house smelled really good. We, we think about those things. We think about the sounds of Christmas, right? The carols, the jingling bells, the ho-ho-hos. It is such a sensory experience. Those of you that were part of the drive through nativity, you understand that as well. You know, you, you've got the animals to look at, the sets, the costumes, the lights. You've got the narration and the music. You've got uh, the smells of, of the firewood and of the, the animals. Maybe that part's not so good, but... But, you know, it, and it, I think it's ironic that uh, we think about the sounds of Christmas that, you know, one of the most popular Christmas songs is Silent Night. Because it was anything but silent, right? I mean, you think about uh, Jerusalem, or Bethlehem was, uh, was jam-packed, right? Its population had swelled with all these travelers coming for this Roman census. So it was busy. You've got Mary and Joseph in a stable with animals. And, and again, if you went through the drive through nativity, you know the donkeys are not quiet. You know, they had the traffic driving by and the narrations blaring. No, I'm sorry, that, 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 that was this past week. But it was a noisy experience for them. And really, Christmas is about breaking the silence. It's about breaking that 400 years of silence. You know, it had been, it had been a long time since, since 600 B.C. when the prophet Micah was, was in his ministry. The people of Israel had not heard a word of the Lord, from the Lord since then, until old Zechariah was in the temple and had that angel appear to him and declare, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. The Lord has heard your prayers. I think it's fitting that God breaks the silence with the words, Do not fear. And then the next words we hear are to Mary. When Gabriel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So God breaks that 400 years of silence with the words, Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. So far in the Christmas story, those who have heard this message from God are a small privileged trio. It's Zechariah, Mary, Joseph. But on Christmas Day, that silence is undeniably shattered for all of Israel, for all of the world, and for us today. Yet this world-changing good news of great joy for all the people, it doesn't come to us today just as echoes of that angel chorus. No, the way we have received this good news has been and always is still to this day being spread person to person. And the first people to share that good news were simple, ordinary, common people. They were shepherds. Kind of the, the blue-collar workers of the first century. And those excited, humble shepherds, they wanted to go and see what God had done and share that news with everyone they met. Let's look together at, uh, at Luke chapter 2. This is where we're going to be today. If you remember last week, we left the story with, with Mary and Elizabeth expecting. They're expecting the birth of their boys, of John and of Jesus. And our New Testament reading this morning tells the, the very simple account of how Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem for the census. And Luke just says simply, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her newborn son, wrapped him tightly in cloth, and laid him in a manger. 
Jesus' birth was simple, but it was such an amazing and profound moment for all of time and eternity. As all of heaven held its breath and peered down to witness this moment that God became human. When the Creator would take the first breath of the very air that He created, and with that breath He let out a cry. The voice cried out, the same voice that spoke the world into existence, cried out into the night. And it was a cry that brought tears of joy to Mary and Joseph. And the next sounds to break the silence of that first Christmas weren't just reserved for these key players in God's divine drama. No, we we leave this intimate scene of Mary and Joseph staring at baby Jesus and, and now that 400 years of silence is broken for everyone. And our representatives in that moment again were simple shepherds. Or as it says in Luke 2, 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. They were at work. They were doing what they do every single day. Now, the shepherds around Bethlehem were special shepherds. And it's interesting that Bethlehem can mean house of bread or house of meat because really it was known for both. On the east side of Jerusalem, the fields were used to grow grain. That's where it originally got its name, house of bread. But over time, as the temple was established by Solomon in Jerusalem, Bethlehem became the place for raising sacrificial lambs. Lambs that were born for the very purpose of dying. And special lambs they were. They had to be blameless, spotless, no blemish, no injury, no defect. And there was a high demand for them. The Torah demanded that the Jews uh, sacrifice a morning and an evening lamb. So that's 730 lambs every year just for the daily sacrifices. Add to that the special rituals and the the, the holy days, the feasts and festivals and Passover and all those lambs. This was a monumental industry around Bethlehem. And because these lambs had to be without any blemish, when those newborn lambs were born... And the hustle and bustle of those herds, you know, going to and for. And sheep aren't very smart. And, and they, they are known, even mothers are known for crushing their own newborn lambs. And so the shepherds would go in, they would take up those spotless lambs, and they would bind their spindly legs to themselves with cloth. And they would set them out of harm's way in the feeding trough. So it says that that night as the angels were watching over this very special flock of sheep, that an angel of the Lord, this is verse 9, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And, you know, keeping with our theme, they were terrified, as people are often when angels show up. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. There's that familiar refrain again. Do not be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Well, if anybody was having a silent night that night, it was the shepherds, right? They're out watching their flocks. The sheep were sleeping. Probably some of them were sleeping. Yet they were shooken. They were, they were awakened with this jolt as heaven broke through into earth with this radiant, brilliant light. And the, it's like the joy and the glory of heaven could no longer be contained. Now that all of history has been fulfilled as God is stepping into His creation, 
heaven just couldn't hold it in anymore. And it bursts forth in this, this dazzling, radiant glory. And, and it blinded and terrified these shepherds. I mean, you want to talk about God showing up when and where you least expect Him. This is it. And once again, those familiar words, do not be afraid. Because the angels, they didn't come to bring judgment. They didn't come to cause harm. They came to bring great news that will result in joy. And it's good news and great joy for everyone, they said. For the rich and the poor, the upper crust and the lower class, men and women, old and young. It's good news of great joy for everyone. Now, thinking about these shepherds and and this moment for them, have you ever been at work, middle of the day, and somebody unexpected stops by, a friend or a family member, or maybe you get a phone call from somebody you normally wouldn't get a phone call from the middle of the day, and your first reaction might be, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. What's happened? And maybe you, you bring them into your office or you answer that phone with a little bit of trepidation, and then you realize that they're sharing with you good news. And you feel a sense of relief, right? And you're, you're overwhelmed with joy. It, it's, it's like this news was so good. They couldn't wait for you to get home that night. They couldn't wait to see you at church on Sunday. They had to call you. They didn't care if it was the middle of the work day. They had to call and tell you right now. That's what's going on here. That's the magnitude of this moment and this, this, this good news. But it's not just good news and great joy for these shepherds. It's good news of great joy for us today. For all people. So what an unexpected honor that God would break this news to them of all people. To these shepherds. They were the first to hear it. How amazing. Amen? What grace. You know, just as God chose to enter the world in human flesh through a humble, simple Jewish girl from Nazareth, He chose to send the birth announcement to these shepherds. Not to kings and rulers and leaders, but to these simple, humble shepherds. And he proclaimed this good news to men who would instantly understand the magnitude of what it meant. They would understand what kind of Messiah Jesus came to be. What kind of Messiah, what kind of king was Jesus coming to be? Well, the angel tells us. He tells us, first of all, how Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby. He says... Today is born for you. He's born today. He's an infant. Weak, helpless, cold and shivering, dependent upon his mother. He came in humility. He came to the least as the least. Reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians 2.7, that he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Or as Isaiah prophesied, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He didn't come in might and splendor like we would think a king would come. He came screaming and wet and naked and cold and hungry as a baby into this world. That's how he came. But secondly, tell us what Jesus came to do. He came to be our Savior. They said, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. He didn't come as a military hero. He didn't come as a conqueror. Thank the Lord he didn't come as a politician. He came as a Savior. Matthew, in, in Matthew one twenty, we, we see this message given to Joseph. 
It says that after Joseph had considered these things, he was thinking about divorcing Mary because she was pregnant and he knew it wasn't his baby. And it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. There it is again. To take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You were to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He came to be a Savior. His name says it all. Jesus means the Lord's salvation. And Acts 4.12, as, as Peter, James, and John are, are, are preaching and, and, and telling people about the gospel, they say there's salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus. He is the Savior. And then the angels tell us where Jesus came. He would be born in the city of David, in Bethlehem. Now think about this. You would think of a king, a messiah, this important person that God was sending. You'd think of all the places. If he was going to be born somewhere, it would be in Jerusalem, the holy city. Zion, where the temple is. But he's not born in Jerusalem to the elite and the powerful. He's not born into Herod's household or to the family of a priestly Sadducee. No, he's born in Bethlehem, next door to where these shepherds were. Right there, born to common people just like them. He was born in the city of David. And fourth, the angels say why Jesus came. He came for sacrifice. Now see, the sign for these shepherds that the angels gave, it spoke their language. Like the sacrificial lambs they raised, this Savior would be wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Meaning He was born to die. Meaning He was born as the perfect sacrificial lamb to bring salvation to rebellious sinners like us. They understood this significance. This baby would be the most important sacrificial lamb that had ever been born. The perfect lamb of God who would forever shut down the sacrificial slaughterhouses. He was there to put them out of business. And you know what? They were okay with that. He was there to be the once and for all final sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 1.29, his cousin John the Baptist, he sees Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 1 Peter 1 tells us, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things. We're not saved. We're not forgiven. We're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or lambs, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, the perfect lamb of God, offered once for all times as a sacrifice for our sins. What amazing news. Amen? What an astounding revelation. Again, not made to theologians or Pharisees, not made to priests or rabbis. It was made to these shepherds. To those who best knew how to spot a sacrificial lamb. But before this news could even begin to sink in, the bearer of good news was joined by a host of angels singing and praising God. Basically, the first ever Christmas concert erupted right there in front of them. And these shepherds were privileged to be that original audience. 
No longer will there ever again be silence between God and His creation or His people. Or as one of my favorite modern day Christmas songs puts it, good will henceforth from God's man begins and never cease. The Word of God. The Word that spoke creation into existence. The Word that spoke to Moses from a burning bush. The Word that spoke and calmed the wind and the waves. He tabernacles among us. And He will forever speak to us. He will never again be silent. What had been privately announced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, to Mary and Joseph, has now come to pass. It's reality. What had been privately enjoyed by Mary and Joseph has now been proclaimed to others, to these shepherds. And now they have a task. Just as Zechariah and Elizabeth had the task of participating with God, just as Mary and Joseph had a task to believe and obey God and participate in His plan, so these shepherds and us, we have a responsibility. We have a task that lies out before us. Look at verses 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You know, I think about those, those shepherds and how they experienced that first Christmas. You know, again, put yourself in, in their shoes. You're at work, you're minding your business, you're doing what you do every single day. There's nothing special about this day whatsoever. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's an angel. Blazing, radiant light. Speaking directly to you, telling you that in this day, in the city of David, to you a Savior has been born. And they give you this sign of how you can identify this baby. And then before you can even ask a question, this whole heavenly host of angels appears, singing and praising God, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to people whom He favors. And then just like that, they're gone. Everything's still and quiet, and you're looking at your buddies. Did that just happen? (laughs) You know, am I dreaming? Pinch me. You know, is, is this for real? How did they experience that first Christmas? What was that moment like for them? What did it compel them to do? How does this good news of great joy go from being something announced by angels to being something proclaimed in the streets of Bethlehem and throughout the millennia to us today. How does that happen? Well, it happens through five steps. Five stages of faith, if you will, that every single person who knows Jesus experiences. This Jesus that came, born as a baby, born in simple Bethlehem, come to be our Savior, come to be the sacrifice for our sins. How do we come to Him in faith? What does does that do in our lives? as we receive that greatest of all gifts. Well, I want us to look at that as we finish up today. And and I want you to put yourself here. Where are you in these five stages? Where are you if you were like one of these shepherds? First, we see they heard the good news about Jesus in verses 13 and 14. 
Now, for the shepherds, they heard the good news with their ears, right? From the mouth of angels. Now, I seriously doubt anybody in here has heard the good news for the first time from the mouth of an angel. Maybe. It's possible. But probably not. You might not even have heard it for the first time. You might have read it for the first time, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways we we hear the good news. You might hear it from a preacher in a pulpit. You might hear it from a vacation Bible school teacher. You might hear it from your parents or a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker. You might seriously encounter it the first time, picking up a a Gideon's New Testament or a Gideon Bible in a hotel room or a, a track that somebody put into your hands. The point is, somebody somewhere had to share with you the good news about Jesus, right? You heard it. You received it. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, How then can they call on Him they've not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, when you hear that word preacher or the word preach, don't just think about me and what I'm doing today. Anytime any of you shares the good news of Jesus with somebody, that's what Paul is talking about. You're preaching. You're proclaiming. You're sharing that good news. And how can they preach? How can they share unless they are sent. And then he quotes our passage, our Old Testament passage, Isaiah, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Think about the person who shared with you the good news of Jesus. Maybe it was your parents bringing you to church. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was a a Sunday school teacher that that presented the gospel and that, that one day it clicked with you and you understood and you were ready to make a decision for Christ. Don't you think their feet are beautiful? Aren't you thankful for those people? Amen? Amen. Don't you give God the praise for those people that poured themselves into you and shared with you the good news of God's grace? That's how it all starts for everyone. We first have to hear the good news. But secondly, they didn't stop there. They didn't just hear it. They searched for Jesus earnestly. Look back at verse 15. The angels had left them or turned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go! Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Once you hear the good news, it compels you to act. You have to do something with it. You don't just sit on it. You have to make a choice. You can choose to ignore it or investigate it. You can choose to ridicule it or receive it. You can choose to reject it or believe it. But you have to make a choice. No one hears this news and remains indifferent to it or unmoved by it. That's why people have strongly reacted to the message of Jesus for 2,000 years. Sometimes in revival or revolution. Sometimes in ridicule or persecution. But it, it demands us to do something. It changes lives. And people are willing to lay down their lives to defend this message. Maybe you've encountered... God's message for you and you want to learn more. You're searching for God. You're yearning for something deeper. You're looking for that faith and hope, that, that peace and that love. Your search doesn't have to be aimless. First Baptist Thompson is here to help you, to help you dig in to God's Word, to ask the right questions, to wrestle with the answers and prayerfully, hopefully, to surrender to its truth. This past week during the drive-thru nativity, Ben and I were out there working on the wise man scene and and a young man came up who, who, who tends to be around every now and again. And Ben has built a relationship with him and knew him. And we were just standing there talking and he started to ask questions about the nativity, about the story of Jesus, about our church. 
And we just stood there for probably a good 30 minutes or so, just sharing with him and, and, and helping him with his questions and wrestle with some answers. And, and, and my prayer is that we can have another conversation with him soon that will end with him giving his life to Jesus Christ. But that's what it's about. That's what it takes. It takes wrestling and searching and asking and thinking, what does this mean? It reminds me of the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17. And Luke writes, he says, the people here, meaning the Bereans, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the Word with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed. Listen, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but I pray that you would be like the Berean, that you would eagerly receive the news and that you would go to God's Word and study the Scriptures to see if it's true. I hope that you'll be like the shepherds, the shepherds, and that you will say, I desire to go straight to God's Word to see what the Lord has done, what He has made known to us. Will you eagerly search for Jesus? Will you study? Will you question? Will you wonder? Will you go to people that you know know the Lord and let them help you and guide you? It's one thing to hear some good news. It's another thing to experience it, right? I mean, it's great when you hear about good news that happens to someone else, but it's even better when it's good news about you, right? We love to experience good things firsthand. Well, this good news is not just good news for someone somewhere else. It's good news for you here and now today. You can't just hear it. You can't just search for it. That's not where it ends. So we see the third thing. They met Jesus personally. They encountered Jesus for themselves. That's, that's the crux. That's the key to all of this. It's not just enough to know things up here about Jesus. You have to know Jesus. You have to meet Him. Reminds me of what Job wrote when, when Job had been, you know, he'd been suffering and his friends were trying to give him all these reasons why he was suffering and none of them satisfied. And finally God speaks and that's when Job says this, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's the shepherd's experience. They had heard the news about Jesus, but now they had met Jesus themselves. Like Job, they had a, a transforming encounter with the Lord God. They trembled with holy wonder in the presence of this baby because they realized this was no ordinary baby. They were looking into the face of Almighty God Himself. Simeon had a similar experience. Remember, Simeon was an old man living in the temple. He would study and pray and teach every day about the coming of the Messiah. It was news that he had heard. It was news he had shared. It was something he prayed about, and God answered his prayers eight days after Jesus was born when Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple to have him circumcised and named and dedicated. Listen to, uh, to, to Simeon's song of praise. You can flip over in your Bible, probably just a page there, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, it says, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Simeon's lifetime of studying about the Messiah and praying and waiting to see the Messiah, it finally came to pass. And now his eyes had seen the one to whom all of history was pointing. The one who fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. The one whose name is whispered on every page of God's 
word. He had met Jesus himself. And something truly miraculous and mysterious happens when you go from just hearing about and knowing about Jesus to meeting Jesus and knowing Him personally. And we call that salvation. That salvation is when you come to realize you need a Savior. That you are lost in your sins. You are dead in your trespasses. And you want to turn from those sins and remorse and repentance and put your trust in Jesus Christ. What He came to do for you on Calvary's cross. And when you do that, you experience forgiveness and newness of life. You are given eternal life. And in that moment of faith, by God's grace... You are transformed. You are forever changed. You're no longer lost. You're found. You're no longer dead. You're alive. You're no longer blind. You can see. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're no longer guilty. You're forgiven. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. And isn't that something worth celebrating? Isn't that good news worth sharing with everybody you know? Isn't that something worth giving God all the praise and glory and worship and thanksgiving that He deserves? That's exactly what the shepherds do. When you meet Jesus, it demands a response. And it's a twofold response. There's a a, a vertical response and there's a horizontal response. And so we see the first thing that these shepherds did after they personally met Jesus, it says they proclaimed the good news to others. Because you can't help but share this kind of good news. For one thing, your life will demonstrate it. The people who know you will see that something has changed in you. There's a difference in you. It will be evident to those people. You'll begin to take on the character of Christ. You'll begin to embody and live out His truth and His love and His forgiveness and grace to others. As Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We ourselves become the Word of God. People can read us. They read our lives like one of Paul's epistles in the New Testament. We begin by our very lives to proclaim the good news of God, but our lives alone demonstrating it is not enough. It's not enough for our lives to demonstrate it. Our lips must also proclaim it. Now, people love to talk about lifestyle evangelism, right? Well, I'm just going to live a good Christian life in front of people. Y'all, listen, I don't live that good enough of a Christian life, okay? My life alone is not enough. You know, people say, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Well, guess what? It's necessary. Use words. Think about it this way. Your life is like the evidence that points to the truthfulness of the good news that you proclaim. Our lives are not the good news. They're evidence of the good news. They illustrate the good news. Just like the shepherds did. And just like the Apostle John when he wrote in 1 John 1, 3. He says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We declare what we've seen and heard. Or or those same disciples, John and and James and and Peter. and They were arrested. There in Acts chapter 4, they were commanded to stop teaching and healing in Jesus' name. They said, we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't stop. 
sharing the good news with others. Listen, evangelism should be the most natural thing for people who know and love Jesus, who have been transformed by His good news. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel or afraid to share our faith story. We should relish every opportunity to tell other people the wonderful news of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Because we know that without Him, we are sinners. We are the worst of the worst. We are hopeless. But by God's grace, He saw through all of that and He saved us and He redeemed us and He loves us. How do we not tell people that good news? That's the horizontal. The shepherds left that manger scene and they went out into Bethlehem telling everyone what they had seen and heard. But then there's a vertical response. There in verse 20, they praised God with all their hearts. And this same pattern is is, is seen again and again throughout the Gospels. Jesus heals somebody. He casts out a demon. And and even though he's trying to tell them to keep it quiet because his time's not come yet, what do those people do? They go out there and they tell everybody they know what Jesus did for them. And they also praise God. They walk away praising and thanking God. The people who witnessed the miracle thank and praise God. They tell other people and they give God praise. When we encounter God's powerful presence, His gracious provision, answered prayer in our lives, it should drive us to our knees in worship. When we come to faith in God, we become His child. It begins a lifetime, an eternity of worship and praise and thanksgiving. Because the gift of eternal life, listen, the gift of forgiveness of your sins, it's the greatest gift you can ever receive. Knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the greatest relationship that you'll ever have. That's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. That's why we gather to worship Him every single Sunday. We join the eternal chorus around the throne of God which sings, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. That's why. We bear witness and we bring worship because we've met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Do you know Him? Maybe you feel like God's been silent in your life. Maybe you feel distant from God. You know that you're separated from Him by your sins. I want you to know this morning that God sees you. God knows your name. God knows everything you've said and done. Everything you've thought. He knows it. And yet He still longs to be with you. He loves you just the way you are. But He loves you too much to leave you that way. And listen, God may seem, it may seem like He's silent. God is not silent. God is speaking to you every day. He is speaking to you words of life. He is revealing to you His purpose and His plans and His promises. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you looking for Him to reveal Himself in your life? This morning, I hope that you'll be like these shepherds. I hope that you'll hear the good news. I hope that you'll come to Jesus, that you'll be drawn to Him in faith, believing that He is who He says He is. He's done what He says He has done. And He will do for you what He says He will do. And my prayer is that you would meet Jesus and know Him personally and be so radically changed by Him that you can't help but tell others and give thanks and praise to God. Where are you at? in those five stages of faith. Where do you need to come this morning to this altar 
and say, I need to move on to the next. I've heard the good news. I need to investigate it. I, I, need, to, I need to study God's Word. I need, to, I need to spend some time letting God work in my life. Maybe you've done that. And now that's just become an excuse. Listen, it's time for a decision. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe for you, you need to come and say, I know all the stuff up here, but now I want it down here. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and experience His grace and mercy. Maybe for you, you've done that, but you've kind of been sitting on the sideline keeping quiet. Why are you doing that? Get up. Get in the game. It's the fourth quarter, y'all. Time is growing short, and we need to be praising God and sharing the good news with others. Maybe God is burdening you today. You need to rededicate your life to being a witness for Jesus Christ with your lives and your lips. Maybe today you need to say, you know what, I want to recommit myself to worshiping God weekly with His church and, and daily in His Word. I, I need to grow daily in my faith and walk with Jesus. I want God to reignite this passion in my heart. This altar is open for you to come and pray. I'll be standing down front. Whatever God has laid on your heart today, let us go straight away and see what God will do. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you for this old, old story. We've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times. But Father, I pray that every time we look into it, we would hear your voice fresh and new. Because while your word never changes, we certainly do. And we always need a, a new expression of your grace in our life. We need a reminder of, of your truth and your faithfulness. We need to have a mirror that we can look in to see the, the condition of our lives. And I pray, God, that you would do that by your Spirit in each of our lives today. And I pray, God, that we would be responsive, as the shepherds were responsive, to whatever word you've spoken to each of us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.